Welcome to Striving Together, a podcast for the Imago Day Church family to help us follow Jesus together in the grace of His gospel. I'm Christy Britton. I get to serve as the Discipleship Classes Coordinator under Pastor Shane here at IDC, and I am joined by two gentlemen who really need no introduction, Pastors Tony Morita and Donnie Hollis. Welcome, guys. What's up, Tony? <laughs> hey, what's up, guys? <laughs> Uh, this is not spiritual at all, but I'm actually really getting more curious every Sunday, Tony, when you come up to do the pastoral prayer, what question are you going to ask Donnie? <laughs> I, I'm curious, too. And put him on the spot, because I feel like you're not rehearsing this. This it's is not just... rehearsed at all. Not only is it not rehearsed, but the second service asks a different question than the first service. So, uh, yeah, it's just my, uh, I don't know why I started doing that. I think it goes back to the virtual lobby, and I like a little banter. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, banter and Bible and, uh, and baseball, that seemed to be my thing. So, um, yeah, sometimes I'll ask people, like uh, the other day I asked Tyler, I said, hey, what? What question would you ask Donnie about oh. uh, cookies? That's what it was, cookies, because we were having cookies at members meeting. And he was like, ask him if he likes, if he's ever disappointed when it's oatmeal raisin, when he thinks it's chocolate chip. It's like, that's a good question. There's something about it, too, about the banter that makes it feel less formal. Like there's a, yeah. for whatever reason, good or bad, you know, there's a formality that, com- that comes to Sunday morning that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And we're going to get into that in the podcast. Like, I think there's some elements that are formal in worship and um, consistent you know, serious. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think there's a freedom that needs to be expressed in worship also. So, and I enjoy asking the audience some questions out of the questions from, from Donnie and <laughs> just kind of uh, warming up the room. Yeah. I also haven't quit thinking about crawfish bisque. I, I haven't either. I feel it's like I'm the fan. Cajun in the room and you're out Cajuning me you know, and it's not okay. It was fantastic. <laughs> it was wonderful. Shout out to Billy Pikett. Oh, yes. Okay, well, let's turn our attention to a different type of feast, uh, the Lord's Supper. So like many IDCers, I grew up in a church where the Lord's Supper was observed maybe quarterly. And I was, let's say, in my 30s when I came to IDC. We don't have to be super specific, (laughs) but noticed really quickly the weekly rhythm and it stood out. And so I had questions. And so let's just get to the most basic question. Why do we take communion every week at IDC? Uh, it's a it's a interesting question. I'm always um, intrigued by how the question is framed. That um, we're always put on defensive, rather than uh, the question is is never. Um, you know, I want to ask in response, why don't you take communion every week? Um, because I think as you look at the New Testament, as you look at uh, the history of the church, uh, certainly in some uh, segments of the history of the church. Uh, regular communion has been the historical practice and pattern. Uh, and so I think you need a good defense for why you are not going to say communion mm-hmm. weekly. And when I think about um, Jesus telling us, uh, do this in remembrance of me, like this is the thing that Jesus told us to do to remember him. And so the question is, well, how often should we remember him? And I just kind of think once a quarter is very, very bad. (laughs) Um, And so, you know, one of the objections to weekly communion through the years has been, um, well, it will get old, it will be uh, too familiar. And that also is a very, I find uh, to be a very weak argument um, when you consider all the elements we do in worship, that that's the one thing we're going to to -hmm. say gets too familiar. Like no one, I don't think, has ever went up to Donnie and said, man, why, why do we sing every week? You know, we just keep singing. And we even sing the same songs, you know, isn't that going to get old? But nobody, nobody asked that. Nobody asked that about preaching, about prayer. So it's interesting that how um, communion is seen to be the thing that's going to get old. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, we can hit that later, but to your question about why do we do it, for me, 
Um, it's just uh, a matter of, of going to the scriptures and looking to, to see what was the pattern of uh, the early church. And I think uh, one of the places that people start, a very obvious place, is Acts chapter 2, 40, 42 to 47, when Luke is describing the, the church gathering together. And there he's talking about breaking bread and, and uh, you know studying the scriptures, praying together, that kind of thing. And I think breaking bread there does refer to communion, the Lord's Supper. Probably around a meal, probably around a feast, but uh, communion that was part of that. There they're doing it day by day. Um, and I think Acts 2 is, is a good place to start, but I don't think it's the right place to finish. Mm. Uh, I think Acts chapter 20, uh, verse 7, gives us a very, very important uh, picture into the, the practice of the early church. Because at that point, the church has now went beyond Jerusalem, and it is now being more stabilized. It's, it's, they're now meeting weekly, as uh, Luke writes uh, in Acts 20, verse 7, on the first day of the week, the Lord's Day, when we gather together to break bread, Paul talked with them and so on. And he, he talks about Paul's speech, and that's a very humorous story when Eutychus falls out the window <laughs> at a very long <laughs> sermon. But the assumption is made that uh, they gather together to break bread. And this the, the, the language is such that this seems to be the pattern, that the Lord's Day was the day in which they gathered to take the Lord's Supper. Uh, and I would point the, the listeners to a couple of uh, Baptist theologians in order to set them at ease on <laughs> weekly communion. Uh, Ray Van Nest uh, teaches at Union, has a great article on this, as does James Hamilton, who both argue that uh, Acts 20, verse 7 uh, is giving us the, the pattern of the early church that they gather together to break bread weekly. The other text uh, that I would point to is the very long text that Paul gives in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Uh, we, we cite this a lot. Um, uh, or excuse me, chapter 11 on the Lord's Supper. And there's the re reoccurring uh, phrase, when you come together, when you come together, when you come together, and it's about the instructions about the Lord's Supper. And again, the assumption seems to be that each time they're coming together, that they are going to participate uh, in the Lord's table. Um, and I think it's also worth noting that in the same book in 1 Corinthians, Paul is assuming that unbelievers are present when the church mm -hmm. comes together. And so uh, there seems to be, in, in my view at least, that there is the presence of believers and unbelievers in an early church gathering and that there is, uh, you know, the weekly practice of taking the Lord's Supper. Hence the need to fence the table, as we call it, and we try to do that at Imago Day to, mm -hmm. to ensure that um, uh, unbelievers are not taking the supper and that kind of thing. Um, so I think uh, as you look at the pattern that's uh, of Acts 20, uh, 1 Corinthians uh, 11, um, I think the question then becomes, if, if this was the case, then um, how often do we want to take it? Because the pattern isn't a commandment, mm -hmm. you know, like we don't have, admittedly, uh, an explicit commandment. Each time you meet on the Lord's Day, take the Lord's Supper, which is why I think there's some freedom. There's some flexibility. Um, uh, we, we have not taken communion every single Sunday in the history of IDC. There have been exceptions to that, and I'm certainly fine with that. But I think we would at least want to say it should be a regular practice and not some uh, periodic observance that's sort of tacked on to the end of a, a poorly attended worship service, but really should be uh, a regular part of, of the church's worship service. Mm -hmm. um, on the issue of familiarity, I have a quote here from Spurgeon. So, you know, I've got to quote Spurgeon on, uh, on things. <laughs> he says, my witness is, 
And I think I speak the mind of many of God's people now present, that coming as some of us do weekly to the Lord's table, we do not find the breaking of bread to have lost its significance. It is always fresh to us. Mm. They who once know the sweetness of each Lord's Day celebrating his supper will not be content. I am sure to put it off to less frequent seasons. And I, I, I find that to be true. I don't find it to be less sweet, less mm-hmm. fulfilling. I, I actually find it to be more satisfying. And we used to say early on at Imago Day, like, if the sermon stinks, uh, <laughs> you know, and the music's <laughs> mediocre, at least we're going to take the Lord's Supper. Uh, and there is a sermon that's being preached mm-hmm. uh, to our senses. And I think that's particularly powerful, what the Lord's Supper is doing as we're proclaiming the Lord's death in a tangible, physical way, saying that Jesus really came tangibly, physically to this earth. His body really was torn. His blood really was poured out. And people can see the gospel in the table. I remember Joshua, when he was young, we would ask, you know, sermon reflections. Hey, what do you remember about the the service? He would always say the Lord's Supper. Mm-hmm. Um, because he could just see it, and it's a it's a beautiful visual, I think, of of the gospel, and we proclaim it, uh, you know, as Paul says, until the Lord comes. So uh, those would be some of my biblical arguments. I think there are other uh, arguments to be made. At the same time, I I'm, I don't criticize, you know, those who who have different views, because again, I think there there is some freedom uh, to this because we don't have explicit commandments. Mm-hmm. But I I think uh, the pattern that was set in the early church uh, was weekly communion. I recall, I think. It was D. Carson who also said that uh, they called it the Lord's Day because that was the day they actually took the Lord's Supper. So mm-hmm. it was there. It, it's it's always been integral. You know, the two have been related to each other, um, and so uh, that's why at least I'm I'm convinced that we should be doing it regularly. I agree. <laughs> uh, let's get a little more personal with it. How can IDCers just personally engage more deeply in their observance of the Lord's Supper? What should they not be missing about this time in our service? And what are the dangers to us if we're not taking this time seriously? Yeah, I think um, well, that would be very similar to the other aspects of, of the service, right? If you are dozing off during a sermon or just not engaged mm-hmm. or looking at your phone or whatever, like... Um, that's the problem. And that, you know, the issue of the Lord's Supper isn't so much about the act becoming too familiar. It's the heart mm-hmm. becoming too familiar. And, and, uh, and so I think you recognize, I would say, what you should be doing in that moment. We, we try to explain these things regularly, but it's a time for repentance, um, for us to do self-examination. Uh, it's a time for us to think about our hope. Uh, the Lord's Supper is looking back, but it's also looking ahead. And that's, you know, a glorious reality that we're going to take this again with Jesus. Um, and so it's a time to get hopeful. Uh, it should be a time if you enter a room with deep sorrow and grief and you, you've suffered uh, the death of loved ones or you're going through some other season of grief, that the Lord's Supper is pointing us ahead to the kingdom that's to come when there's no more tears and no more death. It's also a time of seeing community uh, formed around the gospel mm-hmm. um, because, the, they're, you know, in Corinth, the, the, the issue was uh, the haves and the have-nots were not, uh, the haves were not respecting the have-nots. The, they were eating the Lord's Supper before the poor got there. And Paul was basically saying, like, you have missed the whole purpose. Like, at the Lord's Supper, there are no second-class citizens. There, there, this is a time that we are all collectively together uh, because the ground is level at the cross. And I think the Lord's Supper is a wonderful time to just look around and think about the, the diversity in the kingdom of God 
but the unity that we share in this in this uh, supper. Um, that's something I would uh, encourage them to think about. It's also a time I would just be praying for other people. You know, you think about people in the room who aren't taking the table. Think about uh, people who are not even in the room, but they're not Christians, but they're on mm-hmm. your mind and on your heart. And what a joy it would be to, to see them take the Lord's Supper one day. Um, I've cited before a story of John G. Patton who went to minister among cannibals in the New Hebrides Islands and how he served communion to the first converts and how they um, those those hands that were once stained, he said, by the blood of cannibalism now were stretched out to take the bread and the cup. Mm-hmm. And he said, there was a joy that broke over me that I've never experienced and won't experience again until I see Jesus. And so it's that evangelistic desire, I think, that should well up within us that we want more people to taste and see uh, that the Lord is good. Mm-hmm. So, Donnie, what do I do if I find myself just going through the motions as we take communion we- weekly? Should I not take it? What would you? How would you advise me? Um, that's a good question. We might. I don't know if we would differ on that or not. Uh, maybe it would probably be my answer. Maybe, yeah. maybe don't take it. Um, but I think there's something about being kind of forced with having to reckon mm-hmm. with the fact that you don't feel like you're in a good communion space with the Lord that. There's something about coming to the table in, in that sense that that provides that opportunity for that to be rectified, that your your communion with the Lord can be restored. Um, and if you don't take it, uh, you're kind of saying, "And I'm okay with that. <laughs> I'm okay with I'm okay with things between me and the Lord." Um, you know, us having a little bit little bit of beef at the moment. And there's something about discerning the body of Jesus that He was His body was broken, His blood was shed on our behalf that. That works at least in my own soul. Uh, it's a it's a regular forced reminder that I'm not my own, that I belong to Him, and that His death His death not only happened but uh, did something. It it bought me, and there's something about discerning the body in that way that causes uh, feelings of affection and devotion to mm-hmm. arise in in my soul. So, I think if you're if you know. Uh, I'm, I'm curious, Tony, your, your thoughts on that. Mm-hmm. If you if you are if you find yourself in a season of uh, regular unrepentant sin, mm-hmm. and you feel convicted, um, man, I've got you know people people take the um, what Jesus said. If you're if you're going and making your offering, which is not the Lord's Supper, but if you're going to go make an offering mm-hmm. um, before you give your offering, if you've got something uh, a beef with your brother, go to him first. Mm-hmm. Uh, how does that how does that play in? If if you mm-hmm. I know he's not talking about the Lord's Supper there, but if you recognize in your own soul something something's not right and i don't want this to just become mm-hmm. um, a religious activity what mm-hmm. would you say i think that's the right spirit to take communion in you know um like the, the question is what does it mean to come unworthy as paul says and if we take that to mean i'm not perfect or i sinned bad yesterday you're never coming you're never coming <laughs> to the table and that's really the point is that he's worthy mm. but if in your heart you're not saying that lord i'm not but you are mm. um I don't belong in your kingdom, but you've you've brought me there. Like there is a spirit of contrition and a spirit of reliance upon Jesus's perfect work, right? That is kind of blended together. But if there's no feeling of uh, I'm not worthy, but you are, um, that there's a problem there. <laughs> and so, I mean, it's hard to weigh. I mean, these are the hard issues are are difficult to kind of make an objective point all the time for every single person, right? But for me, it's this issue of um, we're only coming because you are worthy 
and uh, thank you for having us. And, and, but I do, I mean, it is important. Like, Lord, cleanse me, purify me, wash me, sanctify me. But I know my justification, my belonging at the table isn't contingent upon my good works. It's not, you know, it's, it's based on your work. So, yeah. It's good. In, yeah. in, a, in a sense that the contrition is baked in, mm-hmm. you know, to the bread, if you will. Yeah, I like <laughs> that. look at that. Yeah. <laughs> but you got, you got to, you have, you can't come, you can't come with the spirit of, of, of pride mm-hmm. um, or, or arrogance mm-hmm. um, or any kind of hubris. You've got to, you have to come humbly. You can only receive it in a worthy manner if the, if you receive it in humility. Absolutely. As a gift. Mm-hmm. All right. Last question, guys. We take communion as a gathered body. What are some ways we can participate in the Lord's Supper in a way that is truly corporate? Like what's my role and everyone else's role at IDC in taking it communally? Mm. I think we've uh, hit on that a little bit, um, but we are proclaiming the Lord to death until he comes that I want everyone to feel the fact that they are proclaiming that mm. as they're taking it. Mm. Um, we are we are together saying Jesus is Lord, and we're together saying Jesus is coming back again, and uh, those are glorious things to proclaim. And I think the the gathering leads to the scattering of Christians that we we gather together to proclaim those things, and then we want to scatter to say it to the whole world. So, what would you add to that, Don? Yeah, I think uh, what comes to my mind is is we're we're brought to the table through forgiveness. Right. And we, we only have access to God through Christ. And we, we recognize that it has to be because our, our sins are forgiven. So if I'm thinking about how can this be a corporate act, what are sins that I need to forgive? You know, how, how, how can I interact with the people mm-hmm. who are here? Who have I sinned against that I need to go and ask forgiveness from? You know, mm-hmm. who's sinned against me? And I need to go and in, in a manner similar to what Jesus has done here, extend forgiveness to them. You know, mm-hmm. so you can, that's what comes to my mind. Yeah, the it's vertical and the horizontal, right? To relationally li- live out that forgiving grace that we're, we're tasting in the table. It feels very powerful too, like proclaiming it all together as yeah. opposed to like me by myself proclaiming something. There's there's more power in it, I think. It's very, it's it's multi-layered. Like yeah. it's one of those things if, if you, so I'm similar to you that I was brought up in a church that just did it, you know, once once a season and there's something about it. I mean, we even have, you know, you've got communion, Eucharist, Lord's Supper. Like, we even have different names. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Right, because there's so many different levels of meaning. And as we do it regularly over and over again, we get to we get to interact with different le- those different levels of meaning kind of based on what we're, yeah. our, our own condition is that day. Yeah, I've even said before, like, we don't use the term Eucharist because of the connotations that mm-hmm. it carries, but it's actually a beautiful word mm-hmm. and a Greek word, that, you know, Eucharisto to mean thanks. Like, that's what we're doing is when we're, we're saying thank you. Once your enemy now seated at your table, Jesus, thank you. I mean, that's what we're doing at the table. Um, yeah, it's um, unfortunately been a debated issue throughout the history of the church, perhaps more than any other issue uh, mm-hmm. from um, you know, Jonathan Edwards' story of being uh, dismissed from his church to debates about what is happening when uh, when we're taking the table. Um, frequency doesn't tend to be the most hotly debated issue, but it's an important issue to talk about, you know, and so I'm glad we're talking about it. Christy, as you think about the, the Lord's Supper and taking it weekly, you've got... Uh, how many kids do you have? You got, four. <laughs> you got four boys. Still just the four. <laughs> um, so you said you came here in your in your thirties, your early thirties, give or take. Um, <laughs> you're you're so they were they were young. Uh, you've had young boys, and now you've got older older mm-hmm. boys. 
and they get to interact with the Lord's Supper either in an active way or in a in a non-active way. Right? Mm-hmm. How have you how have you guys thought through allowing? Like, do they are they because they're Britons? Do they get to come to the table? Uh, <laughs> how have you thought through that? Few things have been more enjoyable for me as a parent to get to take the table with them like the first time they have publicly professed Christ. So we have some unsaved and some saved. And so it's been a really big deal, especially that very first time. Um, But also some of my kids have to pass the plate and cup each week. And so that has created good conversations from a parental perspective of this is something reserved for the body, which you're not a part of yet. But we're praying and hoping one day that you will be. And then it's going to be really exciting for us to take the table with you. But it has been a good conversation starter. It has been um, interesting to see separations of family benefits, if you will, versus, you know, outsiders. So I think it's been great parentally. Um, to see both sides of it, but also the kids get really excited when they get to take the table. It's not anything rote or boring for them. It's like, oh, it's my turn to do this now. And that's been wonderful as a parent. Yeah, there's there's something inherently, um, again, um, part of what we're doing of participation. You either are participating mm-hmm. in the death of Christ because you belong to him or you aren't. And even for the unbelievers who are who are present, like that's as they pass the cup, over to somebody else, you know. That's what they're saying in, in a in a passive way. Is yeah, um, I'm not right, and they have to come to grips with that every time. Yeah, that and I think I kind of want my kids to feel a little uncomfortable, maybe in that moment, instead of trying to make them feel okay with the fact that they're passing. Like I want them to have to wrestle. Why don't I get to take the table? Yeah. Oh, my kids! My kids always want the sp- the special bread. That's what they call it. I want the, <laughs> I want the special bread. Uh huh. <laughs> yeah. All right. Thanks, guys. This has been helpful. Ready, seers? Join us next week.